Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, when my father-in-law passed this summer, Sue and I got in the car and we drove to Ohio uh, to be part of that memorial service. And it was, it was really cool being in on the visitation ahead of time and getting to meet so many people who knew my father-in-law and they loved him and they had stories to tell you. Here are some really amusing stories in situations like that. They knew him as their dentist. Uh, They knew him as their fishing buddy or their bridge partner or the fellow resident at the nursing home or as a new member of their church. Dad came to Christ at age 89 years of age and then he just threw himself into the ministry of the church which was kind of cool. So we heard all these stories from people who love dad and then we went into the service itself and we heard some more uh, deep stories in the eulogies and then the end of the funeral service something really weird happened Uh, the funeral director got up on the on the stage of the church and we assumed he was going to give us some instructions about how to file out and get in our cars and follow the hearse to the cemetery and and so on but he was obviously moved by all the nice things that had been said about my dad, so my father-in-law, so he decided to add a few comments of his own. Now, the trouble was, and this was a little weird, he didn't know my father-in-law. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the first time he'd ever laid eyes on him was at the funeral parlor as he got the body ready. You know, so what is the dude going to say? So he folds his hands and he very somberly says, we all loved Bill. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you didn't even know Bill. He never met Bill. What do you mean we all loved Bill? See, it's pretty hard to love somebody sincerely whom you've never met, right? Pretty hard to love somebody you've never met. Now, this is going to be the focus of our our study today. We're beginning a new ministry season with a four-part series called Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor. And this is not only the uh, opening series of the new season, it's also Christ Community Church's biggie goal for the year. Now, around our church, every department of our church comes up with goals for the ministry season. So our children's ministry has goals, and community groups have goals, international impact have goals. All of our ministries have goals, but our senior leadership team gets together every year, and we come up with one biggie goal that transcends all departments. This is the goal we want everybody in the church to participate in on. Okay, this is the goal that we will will cast vision for throughout the course of the year. You're going to hear us uh, talking about it again and again, beginning this weekend, Vision Weekend. And this year's biggie goal at Christ Community Church is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, we didn't come up with this goal on our own. We got it from Jesus. You, you, You may recollect the story. It's told in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is speaking to a crowd one day and there are some detractors, some antagonists in the group. And one guy speaks up and he's trying to embarrass Jesus, trying to get Jesus to say something stupid. So he says, Rabbi Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now now the guy knows that there are an estimated 613 commandments in the Old Testament Torah, so he figures he's got Jesus stumped. How's Jesus going to pick out the most important out of 613 commandments? But Jesus was not stumped. Jesus answered immediately, 
This is in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Love your neighbor as yourself. We decided to take this second greatest commandment and make it Christ Community Church's biggie goal for the new ministry season. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. You'll be hearing about this goal over the coming months. Now, as we begin this four-week sermon series about how to accomplish this goal of loving your neighbor, I want you to know that our community groups for the next four weeks, our 300 or so community groups are all going to be tracking with this sermon series. So temporarily, you're going to hold in abeyance other things that you might study throughout the course of the year, but we're all going to start together. We're going to track, we're going to answer, discuss questions based on these sermons in your community group for the next four weeks so that we're all on the same page discovering what it means to love our neighbor. Now, we've chosen four verbs, four action words to describe how we're to love our neighbors this coming year. So let me quickly give you those four verbs, and then we're going to drill down into the first of those four verbs today. So four verbs. The first one is meet. We can't love our neighbors if we've never met our neighbors. Okay, remember the opening illustration, the funeral director who says, we all loved Bill, and the dude didn't know Bill. Okay, you you can't love your, your neighbors if you've never met your neighbors. So how many of your neighbors have you actually met? Now, please understand, when we use the word neighbors throughout this series and as the biggie goal throughout the course of the year, we're gonna use the word quite literally. Now, there's, there's a broader sense in which neighbors means kind of everybody we encounter. So it's the barista at your favorite coffee shop, your neighbor is your coworker, uh, your neighbor is uh, fellow students at school, uh, your, your neighbor is the dry cleaner, your, you know, your neighbor, neighbor is everybody. But we're going we're gonna to use the word in a more limited, uh, a more focused sense of the, the people who live in close proximity to you. How well do you know those neighbors? Have you ever met those neighbors? Let me quickly add the other four verbs. First one is meet. Second one is host. We're going to be challenging you this year to uh, welcome those people into your home, whether it's to watch a ball game together or share a meal with you. The third verb is invite. Hopefully, over the course of getting to know your your neighbors, you're going to have opportunities to talk about God and invite people to respond. Maybe invite them to come to Christ Community Church with you on some occasion. And the fourth verb is serve. We're going to look for ways to help our neighbors. So meet, host, invite, serve. And we, we want to drill these words, these verbs, into you. And, and in fact, to make it easy for you to remember the four verbs, if you look at the first letter of each word, what does it spell? It doesn't spell anything, okay? I, I'm just messing with you, but I wanted to see if you're paying attention, all right? doesn't spell anything, but we're going to repeat these words so often you're not going to be able to forget them. Okay, so meet, host, invite, serve. Say it with me. 
Meet, host, invite, serve. One more time. Meet, host, invite, serve. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. As you're looking for Matthew 4, and by the way, bring your Bible with you as you come to church. If you don't have a Bible, you can purchase one here, but we love to mark up our Bibles as we study them together. So even if you've got an electronic one on your phone, it's good to have a hard copy sometime so that you could use some ink and, and mark it up right in the margins and so on. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, uh, let me clarify that love your neighbor is not our only goal for the course of the year. As I've already said, every department, every ministry around our church has goals. We showed you a video today of everything that happened, some of the highlights that happened at our church over the, the last ministry season. You know, 10,000 people show up for our Easter services, almost a million dollars given to drill wells, freshwater wells in Africa. Uh, 483 grade school kids every week, Wednesday night, come to our epic program at one of our four campuses. I mean, on and on it goes. So lots of goals accomplished last ministry season. We got lots of goals for this coming ministry season, but there's only one biggie goal, only one you gotta remember. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor. So today we're gonna take a look. What does it mean to meet your neighbor? Four or rather three aspects of what it means to meet our neighbors. If you haven't taken the outline from your program yet, I encourage you to do so. Here's number one. Meeting neighbors means we need to understand that there is a purpose for proximity. There's a purpose for proximity. In other words, God's got a reason for you living where you live. God's got a reason for you living where you live. Now, if your Bible's open to Matthew 4, uh, some of you are following Christ Community Church's daily reading schedule, Bible reading schedule. In fact, hundreds of you, I think, are following this schedule. If you're not yet a, a daily Bible reader, I hope you'll, you'll pick up that challenge this fall. And we just started into the book of Matthew a week or so ago. And this last week we read Matthew 4, the passage we're going to look at today. Down at verse 18, it says, Jesus calls his first disciples. The, uh, the, the story of Jesus calling the first guys to begin to follow him. Now, if you've never read this story before, for years as I read this story, it sounded a bit strange to me. Okay, here's what I mean. If you read it, just a you know, cursory look. Uh, Jesus goes out walking one day on the beach beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some guys, some fishermen, whom he's never met before, total strangers. And he calls out, come follow me. And immediately, these guys who don't know Jesus from a hole in the wall, they drop their fishing nets, they leave their boats behind. In one case, they even leave their dad sitting in the boat, and they, they become lifetime followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. That's bizarre. I mean, it's, it's almost like he's got some kind of voodoo mind control. You know, guys, he's never met. Follow me. And they follow him. Yeah. But if you look at the story in context, you understand, you know, context. Always got to look at the context. What's the background for the passage? You understand what's going on here. These guys were not total strangers to Jesus. Go back up to verse 12. Let me read a couple verses. It says, when Jesus heard that John, John was uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. It was Jesus' advance man, his PR guy. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. 
Leaving Nazareth, that was Jesus' hometown where he'd grown up, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Jesus went and lived in Capernaum. Capernaum was a little fishing village in Jesus' day, right beside the Sea of Galilee. Okay, archaeologists estimate that there were at most, at most 1,500 people in the town. That's a really small town. You could bet that everybody knew everybody. All right, and it was not only small population-wise, landmass size, there wasn't much to the town. I've been to Capernaum on half a dozen occasions. You could walk around the village in like 10 minutes. In fact, we're bringing another group, another wave of Christ Community Church people to Israel uh, this coming spring. And if you're going on that trip, we're going to visit Capernaum. It's a really small town. Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, which means he was a neighbor to the guys he's about to run into on the beach, fishermen. So why did Jesus move to Capernaum? Because he was destined to meet two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, who would become his closest friends and lifetime followers. There was a purpose to his proximity. There was a a reason why he was living in Capernaum. Uh, 27 years ago, Sue and I moved into the house we now live in, 1992. And uh, I'll never forget, Sue asked me to be the advance scout to work with the realtor. We had three small children at the time, and Sue said, I'll watch the kids, you go look and find us a house. So I went out on repeated occasions with the realtor, and it it wasn't that Sue didn't have an opinion about what what we were looking for. We had made a list together. We wanted a house with, you know, three bedrooms, maybe a fourth if I could uh, find one that I could make into a study. We wanted a two-car garage. We wanted a yard big enough for our, our three kids. We wanted a main floor laundry room. We made a list, and, you know, top of the list was we wanted a house we could afford, which wasn't a whole lot at the time. So if you asked me today, if you said, so why did you buy that house that you currently live in? I would say to you, because it met our qualifications. It's the house we were looking for. That's why we live where we live. Okay, this house had everything we wanted in a house. But if you ask God, why did Jim and Sue live on Maple Lane in Batavia? God would have a different answer. God would say, for the sake of their neighbors. That's why I placed Jim and Sue there. That's why they live where they live, for the sake of their neighbors. You know, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum, not because he was looking for a home with a two-car garage and a big backyard. He moved to Capernaum because he was destined to meet Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And if we're going to learn to love our neighbors better this year, we got to start with the realization that there's a purpose for our proximity. There's a purpose for our proximity. God wants us to meet the people who who live close to us so that we can learn to love them. That's why God plunked you down on 3rd Street in St. Charles. That's why God put you in Gilbert Hall, the dorm at NIU. That's why God put you in the Randall Road crossings, the townhouses in Aurora, because he wants you to meet those neighbors so that you could love them. I I, I was preaching the same sermon last night And at the St. Charles campus afterwards, a guy came up to me and he said, I'm here with five or six brothers from Wayside Cross, the men's shelter 
homeless shelter down in Aurora, and he said, by God's grace, I've graduated from the program, but the, just the other day, I was thinking to myself, why am I here? It's because I'm such a failure, because you know, I've messed up in life. And he said, after listening to your message tonight, last night, I know why I am where I am. God, may, God put me there for the sake of other people. So where, wherever you live, there's a purpose for your proximity. You get it? You know, throughout the course of the series, we, we're promoting a book that we hope you'll pick up and read. Even if you're not a reader, it's a pretty short book. Uh, we actually gave a free copy of this book to all 300 of our community group leaders. And uh, the book is called The Simplest Way to Change the World. It's a book about how to love your neighbor, practically. It's just filled with practical tips. And even if you're not a community group leader and didn't get a free copy, we're going to sell you a copy, okay, at Resource, our bookshop across our four campuses. If you go online, even Amazon, best deal you get is 10 or 11 bucks, and we'll give it to you for 7 bucks. I want to encourage you to read this, this book, The Simplest Way to Change the World. In one of the opening chapters of this book, the authors describe a variety of ways in which we tend to look at our homes ways in which we tend to look at our homes that keep us from loving our neighbors because we fail to see God's purpose for our proximity. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at our homes these ways. Nothing bad about it. It's just that if we look at our homes exclusively in the ways I'm about to describe to you, it cuts us off from our neighbors. But for example, some of us look at our homes as, this is the place where I chill. Okay, this is the place where I go to get away from everybody else. This is the place that is my refuge. It's my cave. It's after a, a long day at work, I go and I shut the door and I shut the rest of the world out, right? Or a day at school when I've, you know, taken my hits at class and in the lunchroom and whatever, you know, I get to go home and ignore all that. I chill. How does that work with loving your neighbor? Okay, or some of us look at our, at our homes and we say, well, you know, this is the place where I exercise the gifts of decorating, woodworking skills, and fixer-upper stuff, and our, our homes are our projects. We go home, uh, you know, to work on stuff and beautify our house. Some of us, you know, our home is our place where our families gather. It's all about the family dinner table. What is home? It's home is family. That's what it's all about. You know, it's us four no more. Others of us say, well, no, home is where I go to follow my favorite sports team on TV. Or if you're not into sports, it's where I spend my evening following my friends on Facebook. Or home is where I go to binge on my favorite Netflix show. Did you know that the average American home has the TV on for over five hours a day? Did you know that there is now an expression that's been coined to describe the feeling, the disappointment you feel when you have binge-watched your favorite show and you're out of episodes and there's nothing more to watch? It's called show hole. I'm not making this up. Show hole. Oh, nothing more. I want to tell you, God has such a bigger purpose for your life, such a bigger purpose from your, for your home than show hole. 
He's got a reason for you living where you live. It's so you'll meet your neighbors that you'll then grow to love. There's a purpose for your proximity. Here's the second aspect of meat that we're going to talk about today from Matthew 4, a plan for encountering. A plan for encountering. Go back to Matthew 4. Pick it up at verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, now this is where you you mark up your Bible if you brought your Bible, because I want you to underline walking beside the Sea of Galilee. It's a key phrase. We're going to come back to it in a moment. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, why was Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee? I really want you to think about it. Why was Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee? Was he out getting some fresh air? Was he doing his exercise routine, racking up steps on his Fitbit? Okay, did he have, can you imagine this? Did he have a beach towel over his arm because he was going to go park on a little a bit of sand, work on his tan? Is that why Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee? Or maybe he was headed out to get some lunch. You know, there was a fish shack on the beach. There was a place where he could get some tacos de pescado. If you don't know what that is, oh, golly, fish tacos. Maybe that's why Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, those aren't the reasons he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He was hoping to run into guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John because this was the place to meet neighbors who were fishermen. Okay, this is where the fishermen, your neighbors, would have been unloading their boats. This is where your neighbors would have been mending their nets. This is where your neighbors would have been hanging out and shooting the breeze. So Jesus had a plan for encountering. In fact, Jesus knew that without a plan, he would probably never encounter these neighbors. I mean, at the end of the day, they would jump into their pickup trucks, they would drive home, they would open their garage door, pull in, shut the garage door, grab a bite to eat, get a brewski out of the fridge, sit down in the recliner, and watch the Galilee Gators on their big screen TV. Okay, so if he was going to meet his neighbors, he had to have a plan. If we hope to meet our neighbors, we're going to have to have a plan for encountering them. Now, as we were training our community group leaders last month, so you know, almost 300 of our community group leaders showed up for this training to take their groups through the Love Your Neighbors series. As an icebreaker question, we said, so how did you meet your neighbors? And then we compiled a list. We came up with 91 original ideas of how our group leaders met their neighbors. In fact, if you're, you're looking for ideas, we decided to post this on our website. So if you go to ccclife.org uh, forward slash neighbor, you'll see, among other things, you'll see this list of 91 ideas. Somebody said, well, I asked for a referral for a plumber. It's a great idea. Excuse to meet a neighbor. Okay, somebody else said, I sat on my front porch instead of my back patio, okay? Someone else said, I attended the funeral of another neighbor. You know, now don't go hoping a neighbor dies to give you the opportunity to do this, but that's a great idea. 
I borrowed a couple of eggs. I invited neighbors to a game night. I gave away excess veggies from our garden. Some of you got to get, get rid of those tomatoes and cucumbers, all right? Give them to a neighbor. I, I went to the mailbox at the same time. I attended an, H, an HOA meeting. That's a sacrifice. I, I walked around the block. Lots of good ideas. How to meet a neighbor. By the way, if you're going to walk around the block, be sure to take a baby in a stroller or a dog on a leash. Okay, because that opens all sorts of, of conversations. Now, besides those good ideas for how to meet our neighbors, the authors of the book, The Simplest Way to Change the World, they say there's one basic rule you gotta, you gotta follow. Okay, if you wanna meet your neighbors, you gotta follow this rule, you ready? It's called the always rule, the always, and the rule goes like this. You always stop to speak to your neighbor whenever you see them out and about. You always, you always stop to speak to your neighbors whenever you see them out and about. Now, I smiled as I, I read this rule because I thought to myself, I've been trying to apply this rule for the last several years in my life. And it's really hard. And it's not only hard because it takes a certain amount of boldness, you know, to, to speak out to someone you may have never met or you just know them in passing. And you've got to come up with something clever or creative to say, you know, what, what, what do I say? You know, like, hey, how about that new uh, Kia in your drive? You liking it? Good drive? You know, what's the name of your dog? Uh, I like the color you repainted your house? Hey, uh, what do you, what's the opening line? But even more so than these problematic elements of stopping to speaking to a neighbor, my biggest problem is this. I don't have the time. I'm always in a hurry. That's my problem. See, I'm on my way to an errand, or I'm, I'm jumping on my bike at the end of the day and I want to get a ride in before the sun sets. Or I'm out in my yard for a purpose. I got to mow my lawn. I got to get the lawn mowed, and it's clouds. It may be raining, so let's go. You know, I don't have, I don't have time to talk to people I, I, I hardly know or maybe have never met. Who does that? Who does that? Well, Jesus does that. Right? You ever read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry? He always practiced the always rule. He always did. Okay, some kids accost him, and the disciples are trying to shoo the children away. Jesus doesn't have time for kids, and Jesus says, no, kids, come here. Let's talk. He's walking through the town of Jericho with an entourage, and there's a short guy named Zacchaeus who's climbed up into a tree to get a better view, and Jesus gets under the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I want to meet you. There's a lame man by the side of the road, and Jesus deliberately walks over to him, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? He, he tries to get away with his closest buds, and the crowd finds out where he's going, and they arrive ahead of him, and there's thousands of people, and instead of getting back in the boat and saying, let's escape, he stops and feeds them lunch and talks to them. Okay, Jesus always practiced the always rule, so I'm trying. I'm trying, you know, as I drive down my street for work, some other place, and I see a neighbor out, roll down the window, and call something out. Now, the, the always rule is not yet an always rule for me. It is, it's a sometimes rule, but I'm trying to apply it. One of the authors of The Simplest Way to Change the World tells the story of how the always rule led to a meaningful conversation with one of his neighbors. Let me read the story to you. 
He says, I think it was a Thursday. I walked out of my house to grab the mail from the mailbox. I saw a neighbor in his 30s I hadn't met yet who was walking his dog. I was tempted to do what I and so many others normally do, quickly wave, nod, somehow acknowledge that I saw him crossing my path, but make it quick enough that we both could go about, about our business with, without distraction. I've done that move many times. We all have, right? But on this Thursday, a nudge prompted me to try something different. I changed course and walked directly toward the neighbor. Hey, I said, smiling, I don't think I've met you yet. What's your name? He told me his name, Stuart, and we struck up a brief conversation. You know, you know, the normal stuff. How long have you lived here? Do you have kids? Is that your dog that's always loose and roaming the neighborhood? Probably don't want to throw that one in. Okay. The next time I saw Stuart in our neighborhood, I noticed he had a serious look on his face. I have a question for you, he told me. I mean, when you came out of your house that day and you beelined toward me, I mean, why did you decide to talk to me? No one does that. I was having a bad day and I was grumpy, but then you came up and we had this really good conversation. He went on to tell me about some relationship trouble he was having and how his therapist had recently asked him if he'd thought about getting involved in a faith community that might help him with some of his issues. The author of The Simplest Way to Change the World goes on to say, you know, there was a, a wide open door at that point to invite Stuart to church, which I did. Now, I am not suggesting that every time we practice the always rule, it will lead to an in-depth conversation or a conversation about spiritual matters, about God, or an invitation to church. I'm just saying we gotta start someplace. You know, we, we've gotta have a plan for encountering our neighbors if we hope to ever meet them, and then we gotta stop just doing the smile and wave thing and start talking. Start talking. Now, if you don't have a plan for encountering, you know, a plan that opens up natural conversations with your neighbors. Let me suggest a strategy that I think is the best strategy, the best strategy in this regard. In fact, we are asking all of our community groups to promote this strategy during the month of September. And you've heard me talk about this strategy before at Christ Community Church. So as I, I begin to talk about it, if you've tuned me out in the past, please don't tune me out immediately, okay? Sue and I latched onto this strategy several years ago because we had no idea, no idea how to meet the neighbors that we'd lived alongside of for years and still didn't really know. You know what that's like? The longer you live in your neighborhood, the harder it is to meet neighbors you've never met because it's kind of embarrassing now, right? I mean, what are you going to do? You don't know the guy three doors down, so you're going to go ring his doorbell one day, he comes to the door, and you say, hey, I've been living three doors down for eight years, and we've never met, but I, I thought I'd stop by and chit-chat a little bit. Yeah, how's that going to work for you? I mean, if it works, let me know, would you? Okay? So, so we heard about this strategy that gives you a legitimate reason for ringing a neighbor's doorbell. And it, it revolves around collecting canned goods, collecting food for the poor, for the local food pantry. You know, and the rationale is, hey, everybody thinks that's a good idea. Every one, one of your neighbors thinks it's a good idea to care for the poor, to feed those who wouldn't have a meal otherwise. And so if you go to their door and you collect canned goods, they will probably welcome you, even if they don't have a can of something to give you, they will think it's a worthy cause, and then as you're standing at the door, you have a natural opportunity to introduce yourself and begin to talk. 
So Sue and I have been doing that two or three times a year for several years now, and we have gotten to know 26 families on our block. 26 families gotten to know, which brings me to my last point about meeting our neighbors. The third point is this, a passion for knowing. We've got to have a passion for knowing. Now, I'm going to come back to that strategy of collecting canned goods from neighbors in just a minute. But first, let me, let me tie up the story in Matthew chapter 4. You don't have to go back to the text. All I want to note is that Jesus was not content just learning the names of these fishermen. Okay, let me get this. It's Pete and Andy and Jimbo and Johnny. I got that right? Oh, good. See you guys. No, Jesus invited them to hang out with him. He said, come follow me. He wanted a relationship. He wanted to get to know them. He wanted them to get to know him. As you and I meet our neighbors, we want to push past that superficial level of exchanging cliches. Beautiful day, isn't it? You know, or we see him putting his golf clubs in his trunk. Great day for golf. And that's it. We, we want to get to know people. We want to ask God for a passion for for knowing. You know, and this is what I love about collecting canned goods from our neighbors. By the way, around Christ Community Church, we have a name for this. It's called canning hunger. So whenever you hear us refer to canning hunger, that's what we're talking about. Now, the first time Sue and I did canning hunger, you know, a week ahead of time, we let our neighbors know we're coming. Uh, we, 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 we copied a little note and we dropped it at every home and stuck it in their door, and the note said, hi, we're Jim and Sue, we live in the house with a big porch down the street, and uh, we're, we're collecting canned goods for the poor, we're gonna deliver them to the Batavia Food Pantry. We're stopping by on Saturday, sometime between two and 4 p.m., and we'd love to meet you. We'd, we were just up front, we would love to meet you because we didn't want people leaving their canned goods out on the porch, and so you know, we pick them up and we get the canned goods, but we don't get the meat. All right, and so then we, we actually purchased a little red wagon at a garage sale. And the following week, we pulled our little wagon uh, down the street and we began to ring doorbells. We had a natural excuse to go to the door. And what's more, when I got about three houses away, now we're beyond where we knew people's names. Okay, uh, we knew the names of the people on either side of us and across the street, but three doors down. So now I'm beginning my pitch with this. I ring the doorbell and they come to the door. Hi, we're Jim and Sue. You, you saw our note about canned goods. Hey, before I ask for canned goods, I got to say, I'm so embarrassed. I've lived a few houses away from you for years and I don't even know your name. And so they give you their name right away. It's so natural to do this. You know, you know, people love the sound of their name. Dale Carnegie, who wrote the you know, best-loved book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said the sweetest sound in a person's ear is the sound of their own name. So you learn your, your neighbor's names, and you begin to use their names when you see them. You know, what some people even do who do canning hunger or, or people who find some other way to get to meet their neighbors, you put a chart up on your fridge and it's got all the houses or it's got all the apartments on the floor of your apartment building. And as you get to learn names, you add the name to your chart. You say, well, what if they come by sometime? I have them over for dinner and they, you know, it's a love your neighbor chart. What are they going to think that you want to love them? Oh, that's terrible, isn't it? So you get, you get to know your neighbors. You get to know their names. 
You know, every time Sue and I have done canning hunger, we've learned a little bit more about each neighbor. You know, what they do for a living, you know, the ages of their kids, the names of their pets, what household project they're working on, where they just came back from for vacation, you know, why in the world they got a Packers flag in front of their house. Yeah. <laughs> you knew after Thursday I was going to throw in something. Uh, yeah. and, and what we would do is we go back to our wagon with their canned goods. And by the way, if they don't have any canned goods, well, our standard line is, eh, it doesn't matter, you know, we've we got plenty of neighbors to give us canned goods. And besides, we just want to get to know our neighbors. We're doing this as much to get to know our neighbors as any other. We keep you know, being up front with that's our motive. We want to get to know you. People have welcomed that. And so I go back to my uh, little red wagon and I carry a spiral bound notebook and I write down what I learned about them and then I transfer it to an electronic file at home. I got an 11 page file on you know, information I've learned about my neighbors. You say, you're stalking them. <laughs> no, no, I want to know them. And if they tell me that their daughter is going off to college, I want to remember that their daughter's going off to college. So the next time I see them, I could say, hey, how's your daughter doing with college? Okay, it's just that simple. You know, I've been asking God for a passion to know my neighbors. Why, where does this passion come? Where does this motivation come from? It comes from the fact that God has done the very thing with me. And he's done it with you. When we were distanced from God, when we were strangers to God, God moved into our neighborhood in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what John 1 verse 14 says, that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He became our neighbor. He reached out to us. He took the initiative to get to know us so that we could get to know him as our savior, as our friend, as our king. When I stop and I think that Jesus left the comfort of heaven because he wanted to get to know me. Now that begins to stoke my fires for wanting to get to know my neighbors, a passion to know them. So I write this stuff down and you know, you know what's amazing? Our neighbors have been willing to share incredibly intimate stuff with us. So as we've done this routinely, we've heard about divorces, We've heard about depression. We've heard about being out of work. We've heard about a son going off to the Marines. We've heard about cancer, heart disease. And sometimes, not always, because we don't want to be overbearing, but sometimes we will say something like this. We'll say, oh my goodness, what a heavy burden. You know, we're prayers. We like really believe in prayer. Can we take just a minute to pray for you? And we've never been turned down. And we don't pray long because we don't want to goon anybody out, but we just quickly pray for their need. And it's amazing how many conversations about God that has opened up. Prayer. You know, as I wrap things up today, we're talking about four verbs in this series, meet, host, invite, serve. I got to tell you, none of them work if you don't pray as you do them. Okay, pr prayer is the power behind loving your neighbor. Okay, if you, if you want a, a neighbor-loving impact where you live, you've got to start praying for the people who live around you. You know, I've realized even in preparing for this series, I've got to do a better job of praying for my neighbors. And, and so I'm going to challenge you in closing with two opportunities to pray. One, one is tonight. 
I want to challenge you to come back tonight. Hey, the Bears played on Thursday. There, there's not a game you need to see this afternoon, okay? Come back tonight for an hour and a quarter, 6 to 7.15. All right, we're going to do some worship singing, but then we're going to take a couple of breaks where we pray. You say, oh, I don't pray out loud. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to pray out loud. But I'll tell you how you learn to pray. You learn to pray by praying. So, so come, and if you say, if you're, if you're honest enough to admit, you know, I've never thought a whole lot about praying for my neighbors, this is what we're going to launch you into. We're going to do some praying for our neighbors tonight. So, some of you got problem neighbors, and you need to pray. You need to pray for them in some special ways, right? So come tonight and pray. Pray for the ministries of our church as we launch the season, but we're going to be praying for reaching our neighbors as well. The second thing you could do on your way out today across our four campuses at the exit doors, you'll find a prayer list for the week. It'll tell you what to pray for uh, today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the week. Every day, some bullet points of things to use it with your family, use it with your community group, use it with a group of friends. Pray. In fact, we're challenging you to consider fasting at some point during this week. I won't ask for a show of hands how many of you have ever fasted before, but it's an ancient spiritual discipline that Christ followers have practiced for centuries, but most contemporary Christ followers know little, especially in the comfortable West, nothing about fasting. It means going without a meal on a day, or maybe going a whole day without your three meals, so you could devote that time to prayer instead of eating. And it sort of empowers your, your prayer life as your, your, your hunger pains kind of remind you, oh, pray, right? So there's a whole sheet that explains if you go online or you pick it up on your way out that explains fasting. So pray, pray. And that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to close the sermon part of the service. We're going to collect our gifts. And uh, we're going to ask God right now that he makes us good neighbors. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, if we don't have a passion to love our neighbors, only you can give it. And so I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would not let us dismiss what we've heard today as if it's intended for somebody other than ourselves. But we would realize that this is the very message you brought us to church to hear. And when we stop and think about how you reached out to us and moved into our neighborhood to get to know us, may it give us a heart full of compassion and a passion for loving the neighbors that live near us. We pray in Jesus' name.